ESPN Radio. Yeah, Harry, we got a little bit of that Mardi Gras vibe going on on Fat Tuesday. This is ESPN Radio, also on Sirius XM Channel 80 E+. Harry Douglas and Chris Candy, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter, at ChrisCandy99, at HarryDouglas83. And Harry, it's mock draft season, and it almost feels like the NFL offseason is starting to get like the NBA offseason, where it's where it's must-watch television, and you got to pay attention to everything that's going on. we got a couple of high-profile quarterbacks that seem like they're unhappy where they're at right now, and we've got two teams that are projected to be in the quarterback market in the top 20 picks in the NFL draft. We'll have that for you in about 15 minutes. But right now, we got to talk about the current quarterback for the New York football giants, Daniel Jones. And Harry, New York Giants general manager Joe Shane spoke at the scouting combine today, and the quote from him about Daniel Jones was that Daniel Jones is the starting quarterback right now, and you look for competition at every position. Shane said that backup quarterback is one of the most important roles that you can have on your football team. So you couple that with what we've heard from Sean McDermott about how it's going to be hard to hang on to Mitch Trubisky as their backup up in Buffalo. I don't know, man. It seems like this is being teed up for Joe Shane to bring in Mitch Trubisky to compete with Daniel Jones for the starting job for the New York Giants. And that's what you want, though, Chris, because I think I think when you have that competition, it can, bring, it can do two things. It can make you fold and make you curl up like a little baby, or it can bang out the best in you and show you how much of a man you are, mm-hmm. right? But at the end of the day, you have to look in the mirror because what you have been doing to this point uh, has not been great for the New York football giants. And you've seen it in a couple places when they brought Mac Jones to New England and you see Cam Newton. Cam Newton said, you know what, I got to ramp my things. I got to ramp my things up. Mac and cheese out here balling. Mac and cheese getting it done. <laughs> right? But it, it goes to show you, man, that competition. And I'll take it another another step. Uh, when I was in Atlanta, man, the receiver group, we had me, Roddy White, Julio Jones, Devin Hester. Ooh. Right? And we, we looked at that competition as a friendly competition, and it brought out the best of us. Because we didn't have no, – nobody had a day where they can just be like, you know what, I'm going to take the day off. I can just I can just be in cool breeze mode. No, no, it wasn't like that. We was full fledged. That competition brought out the best in all of us. And when you look at the Giants, Joe Shane or Brian Dable, they can't come out here and just say this is Daniel jo- Daniel Jones' job. What has he done to earn that job? Nothing. So you have to bring in that competition to push him to another level to let him know, even though you was drafted in the first round, we got Mitchell Trubisky. I'm just saying Mitchell Trubisky because that's who I think they should bring in. Mm-hmm. We got Mitchell Trubisky who was drafted in the first round, who was hungry and had a chance to sit behind a Josh Allen, and now he wants to go out there and get his opportunity and revitalize his, his career like we've seen a Ryan Tannehill. But I think the competition thing and bringing in another guy that can actually play it's great for the organization. It's great for Daniel Jones because only two things can happen. You can elevate or you can deflate. No, I'm with you 100%, Harry, from a football philosophy standpoint. I, I think you do need to bring in somebody to push Daniel Jones because this is a guy that has been up and down through his first three seasons in the NFL. And also one thing to keep in mind, he's missed time in the first three seasons in the NFL. So that's why there has to be emphasis on having a backup quarterback for him because you can't assume that he's going to be healthy for all 17 regular season games. Now, 
the reason why I like Mitch Trubisky, it goes beyond the relationship that Brian Dable and Joe Shane have with him going back to Buffalo. I think from a skill set standpoint, there are a lot of similar physical traits that Mitch Trubisky has that Daniel Jones has. So as far as Brian Dable's offense, there isn't going to be a whole heck of a lot of adjustments that need to be made if Mitch Trubisky is thrust into action. But I think you look at Trubisky as the litmus test for Daniel Jones. If you can clear that bar, then maybe we give you a little more rope in terms of giving you opportunities to be our starting quarterback. But if you can't beat out Mitch Trubisky for the starting job week one for the New York Giants, (laughs) then I think the Giants would have answered the question as to whether or not Daniel Jones is their franchise quarterback. Also, keeping in mind, Harry, this is the offseason that the Giants have to make a decision on Daniel Jones' fifth-year option. Now, I'm anticipating that they decline that option just because I don't know that the production warrants committing, you know, $19, $20 million to him in 2023, which is fully guaranteed. But I I just look at this situation as a prove-it year for Daniel Jones. They've tried their best to eliminate all the excuses for him, but you're talking about a quarterback through his first three seasons that has accounted for 50 total touchdowns to 49 total turnovers. That ain't what you want in terms of touchdown-to-turnover ratio. He has to improve in that regard. He has to improve when things break down around him. He was the sixth overall pick for a reason. They look at those guys that's having the potential to be force multipliers, and you can't say that up until this point in Daniel Jones' career. And and the crazy thing about it all, though, Chris, is that when I look at Daniel Jones and the skill set he does have and and the things that he can do, the – he has a little bit of promise in him because when I look at that looked at looked at that game against the New Orleans Saints last year, which the Saints defense was one of the best in the National Football League mm-hmm. uh, across the board for the last few years, a game where they won in overtime, a game where he passed for four hundred yards over four hundred yards and two touchdowns, he balled out in that game. So it's like you see the flashes here and there, but I'll tell you on the flip side of that also, the surrounding pieces have to be healthy. They have to do their part. The offensive line need to block better. But Daniel Jones has to take care of the football even better and not get happy feet, not go in panic mode. Do not turn the football over. That's the first thing. And, Chris, you know this, head coaches, when they go over offensive, defensive, and special teams must, the first thing offensively as they talk about is we must protect the football. And then defensively, what they say, Chris, we need to get takeaways. So Daniel Jones has to understand he has to take care of the football. That's why it's great that he's paired up with Brian Dable because I've seen that that transition and that elevation in a Josh Allen in Buffalo because I wasn't high on Josh Allen his first year, but each year he kept getting better, better, and better, and better. And now we're talking about a guy who's a top four quarterback in the lead, if not top three. No, you're right about that, and, and and I'm glad that you brought up some of the games that we can point to and say Daniel Jones has shown flashes, but Harry, you know as I do, the consistency is what separates good players from great mm-hmm. players in this league, and the fact that he's been so inconsistent through his first three years, that gives me cause for pause as to whether or not I think he's my franchise guy, and, and when you point out the game against New Orleans, I'll point to the game against the Los Angeles Rams where Daniel Jones threw three interceptions and put one on the ground on a sack fumble. I mean, those Mm -hmm. are things that absolutely can't happen if you're going to play winning football, especially against a team like the Rams, where you don't have that kind of margin for error because they're more talented than you. Those are the things that Daniel Jones is going to have to understand. I get it. Giants ownership has come out and and took some of the blame and saying, 
that they've done everything possible to screw this kid up, but that still doesn't change the potential outcome when it determines whether or not Daniel Jones is going to be the guy. I mean, you know, he, he might not develop into a quarterback that they thought he could be when they took him at the sixth overall pick. And I think after this season, we'll have a clear and definitive answer of what the Giants are going to do with Daniel Jones's future. I don't think there's any question about it. We looked at last year as a prove-it year for him. We really didn't get a whole lot of answers. You fired another head coach. Now Daniel Jones is going to be working with his third head coach. At some point, you have to say, well, maybe we, we got to stop firing coaches and maybe it's time for us to fire the quarterback and try to find a new one. I'm just putting that out there, Harry. I, I don't advocate for people losing their jobs, especially somebody that, that went to my high school. But at the same time, I got to be honest and objective about what I see. And right now, Daniel Jones still has a hell of a lot to prove. Yeah, I mean, and, I, and I'll say this, Chris. When you look at the Giants, I don't think the organization overall – has done a great job because if you are continuously firing coaches left and right like that, that means you have failed the young man. But at the end of the day, we're all taught to do what, Chris? Be pros, right? Mm -hmm. You can't put everything on a coach. Some of the things you have to learn on your own. If, if a coach has to teach you everything about this game, then it might not be for you because some things and some intangibles you just have to have. Harry, I'll leave you with this one just to put a bow on this segment. If you got to keep asking the question about whether or not the he's the franchise quarterback, eventually you're going to land on the answer being no. <laughs> yep. That's where I'm at with Daniel Jones. Coming up next, two other teams are trying to find franchise quarterbacks, probably in the first 20 picks of the NFL draft, according to Mel Kuyper's latest mock. We'll have those teams and what they should be thinking about when it comes to finding their franchise quarterbacks. You're listening to Harry Douglas, Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Oh, yeah, we going up. It's Harry Douglas and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio. And e Plus, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Canny call-in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And, Harry, it's Fat Tuesday. We got Mardi Gras going on, but today is also the start of the NFL Combine. And so that means everybody's paying attention to the draft prospects out there. And with Mel Kuyper dropping his latest mock draft, Mock Draft 2.0, it's got people paying attention to what's going on at the top of the draft, but then also a conversation that folks are having is what's going on with the quarterbacks in the first round. And right now, Mel Kuyper has three quarterbacks projected to go in the first round. That would be Kenny Pickett from Pitt, projected to go at number 11 to the Washington Commanders. We have Malik Willis from Liberty, projected to go number 20, to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then we have quarterback Matt Corral from Ole Miss, who's projected to go 32nd to the Detroit Lions. So looking at those first two teams in Washington and Pittsburgh and knowing that not every situation is created the same, Harry, what should those two teams be doing, Washington and Pittsburgh, when it comes to how they handle the quarterback position this offseason? Yeah, when you look at the Washington commanders, got to get used to saying that, uh, I think at number 11, Kenny Pickett right now is the most pro-ready quarterback. He's been at Pittsburgh uh, for a long time now. You've seen the growth. You see him mature. You've seen the season he had this year at Pitt in the ACC. So I think at a number 11, you go there. Now, just let's just say hypothetically Washington decides they don't want to go a quarterback in the draft and they decide they want to do it in free agency. Another guy that I would look at is a guy, Mitchell Trubisky, who we just finished talking about with the New York football giants. 
him getting the opportunity to be able to lead a team. Now, I will tell you this. When you look at the Washington Commanders, the only thing that worries me about a young quarterback being there um, is the simple fact that you have wide receiver Terry McLaurin, right? You, you brought over Curtis Samuel from the Carolina Panthers to be a, a valuable weapon for you last year. He he was hurt. He didn't he didn't he didn't get to showcase his talents. Mm-hmm. So you had a running back in Antonio Gibson who had a lot of the workload. I think the the second leading receiver after <laughs> after Terry McLaurin was a running back in JD McKissick. And I yep. think if you want your quarterback to be productive, I don't think you can have that. You have to put more weapons and vital valuable weapons around them. So let's just take a look at the young quarterbacks. Right, Buffalo did it with Stephon Diggs. They, they said, okay, we have a young stud in Josh Allen. We got to get some, some more weapons around him. They brought over Stephon Diggs. You look at Joe Burrow. They drafted T. Higgins, and they already had Tyler Boyd, but then they drafted Jamar Chase as well. You look at Justin Herbert, right? Who does he have? He had a Mike Williams. He had a Keenan Allen. So mm-hmm. y'all understand what I'm saying here. When you draft these young quarterbacks, you can't leave them out to dry. You have to give those guys playmakers to be able to be great. And if you don't do that, you're going to have these issues like we've seen with a Daniel Jones, like you've seen with a Sam Darnold. But I do believe the Washington Commanders, uh, they're going to draft Kenny Pickett at number 11. And if they do decide not to go that route, uh, I think Mitchell Trubisky will be a good fit there as well. Well, I think Kenny Pickett is probably going to be the most pro-ready quarterback. He's had 49 starts at Pitt. So, I mean, Bill Parcells used to always say he wanted to see at least three seasons of film on a guy, and Kenny Pickett certainly checks that box. And then what he did at Pitt this season, being able to display his game and show that he can make all the throws and show the requisite movement skills that it takes to be able to manipulate the pocket and buy that extra second of time for his receivers to uncover downfield, I thought that was a big improvement from his game from his junior year to his senior year now that being said Harry I I look at the situation with the Washington Commanders and I think it's a lot different than the situation with the Pittsburgh Steelers just from the fact that I don't think the Washington Commanders are ready to do high level winning so you certainly have the opportunity to grow with a young quarterback whereas with the Pittsburgh Steelers you're talking about a defense that's ready to go and although I really like some of the physical gifts that Malik Willis is bringing to the table I think this is time for Pittsburgh to take a big swing at one of those quarterbacks that could be available in the trade market. And notice I said the trade market and not free agency. I'm talking about the top three guys that would be available. That's Aaron Rodgers, that's Russell Wilson, that's Jimmy Garoppolo. I think if you're Mike Tomlin, that's the direction that you want to go in, knowing what kind of defense you have and knowing the skill position players that you have. I get it. The offensive line continues to be a work in progress. But you got enough of pieces there in order for this team to be a playoff caliber group. I mean, you were in it right there. You made the playoffs this year. You played against Kansas City and got bounced in the wild card round. But at least you were in it with mm-hmm. substandard quarterback play. Even though it's Ben Roethlisberger, future Hall of Famer, he's not the same guy. So I look at this situation as the Pittsburgh Steelers are in a different boat than the Washington Commanders in terms of how they should approach this offseason at the quarterback position. Yeah, but when you even look at the organizations, though, Chris, they're they're different situations top to bottom, Mm -hmm. from ownership all the way down to the last player on the roster. And you look at the skill position players that the Pittsburgh Steelers have. You have a Deontay Johnson. You have a Chase Claypool, right? And they got a receiver coach there now and a guy named Frisman Jackson. Uh, He coached me my last year 
uh, with the Tennessee Titans, a guy who can, I, I think, help that group tremendously as far as growth and as far as maturing. I think that's going to be very vital. Now, depending on who they they possibly can get at the quarterback position, you never know. Juju might want to come back because I believe he's a free agent this year. Uh, they got a young tight end in Pat Fryermount, who I was high on when he was at Penn State. But then you look at that defensive side like you mentioned. You talk about Tewitt. You talk about T.J. Watt, mm -hmm. Cam Hayward, guys who we know that are dogs in the National Football League, and they're going to bring it week in and week out. I do believe when you look at them defensively, their secondary, the corners, they have to get way better because the, cor the corners were atrocious this year in the linebacker position. I think the linebacker position can step up a lot more, but that's why you have a guy like Brian Flores on your staff who is a head coach at minimum a defensive coordinator to help you in those areas. But I do believe Pittsburgh, they have to swing for the fences and try to get a big dog in there because I think this team with the running back of Najee Harris too, I think this team can make some noise. So, Harry, me and you are on the same page in terms of what Pittsburgh should do at the quarterback spot this offseason. But let's hear from the listeners and see where they're at with it. Hit us up on the candy calling line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. What should the Pittsburgh Steelers do to fix their quarterback situation and who should be their successor to Big Ben? Should they trade for Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or should they draft a quarterback? We want to hear from you on the candy calling line. Again, 888-ESPN. Coming up next, we got to do a heat check in the Eastern Conference. Is Miami as good as they are, as the standings would say they are? Harry and I will have the answer for you on the other side of the break. But first, a word from eBay. When a part of your offense isn't firing on all cylinders, it shows. Maybe it's a drop ball. Maybe you just can't work your way down the field. When that happens, the only solution is to replace that part with something better. It's the same with your car, but unlike in sports, a new batch of car parts can't be drafted every year. Mel Kuyper ain't putting out a mock draft for car parts. It's just not happening. That's why eBay Motors exists. They have all the right parts at the right prices. In fact, eBay Motors has 122 million parts. That's a lot of parts. That way you can get the parts you need to make your car a winner. Visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. More ESPN Radio after this. ESPN Radio. You're listening to ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas and Chris Canny, also on Sirius XM Channel 80 and E+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And, Harry, the sports world is going up on a Tuesday. We got breaking news in Major League Baseball. We got breaking news coming out of Arizona and the Cardinals and their disgruntled quarterback. But before we get into all of that, we got to get to these calls on the candy calling line, Harry, because people got something to say about what we said what the Pittsburgh Steelers should do and approach the quarterback position this offseason. To tee it off, we're going to go out with Ed in Illinois. Ed, you're on with Canty and Harry Douglas. What you got for us? Yes, I would um, sign Jameis Winston and spend those first few uh, draft choices on uh, fixing your uh, back end of your defense. I'll uh, hang up and listen. Ed, it's not a bad idea. The only thing that concerns me when it comes to Jameis is he had that ACL this season. We're not talking mm -hmm. about a healthy quarterback, and we don't know exactly what the timeline is going to be. I know his representation put out the video of him running on the anti-gravity treadmill and that he's progressing with that, with that knee injury. 
But I don't know if you want to bet on Jameis being your QB1 or at least your first choice to be your QB1 this offseason because there are going to be other options that are readily available. And Jameis Winston, if you do decide to go that route, that's a move that you can pull off later in the offseason. Well, I'll I'll take it a step further. you got to remember that Pittsburgh plays in bad weather. And I had an ACL injury. When that when the weather starts to get cold and starts to change, it's going to affect that knee. You're going to feel that. Not, not to mention you're going against the Baltimore Ravens, a hell of a pass rush. You're going against the Cincinnati Bengals, a hell of a pass rush. You're going against the Cleveland Browns and Miles Garrett, a hell of a pass rush. I don't think you want Jameis in that situation. I hear you on that one. Let's go out to Thomas in Pittsburgh. Thomas, you're on ESPN Radio. What you got? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Good, my friend. Listen, they're not going to make a big splash. They're not going to make a big splash. Everybody, listen, Malik, um, the kid out of Liberty, he's not Malik ready. Willis? I watched the senior ball. He was running around. He couldn't even throw the ball. He didn't even throw the ball. He was running. A running back playing quarterback. Listen, so Mason t- so- Rudolph, they might take a flyer with Trubisky. I doubt it. They're going to sign a veteran backup. They're not going to trade their capital away. They're very conservative. This is how the Steelers roll. They don't roll. Plus, you got to sign Mika Fitzpatrick, and you got Deontay Johnson coming up for a contract too. You think they're going to? I mean, I don't think Deontay's enough. I don't think they have a number one wide receiver, by the way. But they need to address the offensive line. You got a stud running back. You better get that guy some some protection when he's running the ball. I just think they're going to try to run the ball and go with Mason Rudolph, take a year off. There's no quarterback in that draft that I even remotely could. So you said take a year off? Is that it, Thomas? Well, that, I don't think I don't I don't think that's Mike Tomlin's mentality. And although Mason Rudolph does have a winning record as a starter, I think he's five four and one. They're certainly going to look to upgrade that position. I don't think you go into week one of the NFL season in 2022 with Mason Rudolph as QB one. Harry, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't necessarily see the Pittsburgh Steelers going that direction. No, I think it's humanly impossible because if you want to win, like our colleague Ryan Clark said, the Steelers organization can't possibly think that Mason Rudolph is their starting quarterback. Now, as far as him saying take it a year off, Mike Tomlin isn't about that. That organization isn't about that. Mike Tomlin has not had a losing season since he's been coaching there. So they're not taking a year off from anything. Not a team that just made the playoffs, and I didn't even know how they ended up making the playoffs, but they made it some kind of way. But that shows you the job of Mike Tomlin in that organization. Because if I can bet on my hand three organizations that I can count on being something at some point, it'll be the Steelers because of their history. It'll be the Ravens because of their history. And you, whoever third you want to put in there, you put in there. The Patriots because of their history. Yeah, and and Harry, I'm with you on that one. I think the Steelers will be aggressive this offseason and trying to find a successor for Big Ben because you have a team that's ready to win now. They proved that by making the playoffs this year. But one of the stories that we've been talking about the last 24 hours, Harry, is what's going on with Kyler Murray in the desert in Arizona. And it feels like things are coming to a head. We saw the release of the statement from Murray's agent, Eric Burkhart. And now, according to ESPN's Diana Rossini, there is a trade demand on the table from Kyler Murray's camp. Take really, a listen. Pretty much to sum this up, Kyler Murray's camp at this point, they put the Arizona Cardinals on notice saying, we want commitment and we want this to go down over the next few weeks. And they're not going to be very patient with this. And you have to figure, guys, the next Wait. step. 
because the only card they have is to ask for a trade. And that's something that's going to wind up happening if they don't get what they want from the Cardinals. Now, Harry, I would have loved to have the opportunity to go to David in Minneapolis because he absolutely suggested the Pittsburgh Steelers go after Kyler Murray, and that would be an interesting fit. But we don't have time because we're up against the break. The one thing I will say is if Kyler Murray doesn't get what he wants, then that absolutely is a path that his representation is going to suggest that he goes down. Now, whether they have the stomach, the fortitude to see that through remains to be seen. But it feels like things are only continuing to devolve and get uglier in the desert. It's a bad time for baseball not to be in for Kyler. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Man, listen, man, this is a crazy situation. And you understand players that become eligible for contract extensions after year three, guys that make multiple Pro Bowls in their first three years in the league, they want to get paid, right? Kyler Murray is viewed as the franchise quarterback. He's turned that team around. The year before they drafted him, they were a three-win club. And this past year, they were 11-6 and and in the wild card round. Now, they got bounced by the eventual champ, so it wasn't a a good look. But ultimately, you feel good about the production that Kyler Murray has given you. Now, there are some injury concerns, but through the first two months of this past season, Kyler Murray was an MVP candidate. So, Harry, I got to throw this out to you, man. Should Mm -hmm. Should the Cardinals take his contract demands more serious, or should they actually entertain the possibility of moving on from this dude? Um, I don't think moving on because you can't just find quarterbacks any and everywhere in the National Football League. Um, so I think they, they might want to take his contract demands a little bit more serious, seriously, but what is he asking for? Mm. Because and we're going to have this conversation a little later too because we, we got Diana coming. You know what I mean? But I, I got some things I want to put Kyler Murray up against quarterbacks who got paid early in their career. And I know we're against the break right now, so that's why I want to break it down right now. All right, cool. Well, you know we're going to get to that. And David and Minnie, hang on. We're going to get to you as well. But coming up next, Major League Baseball Players Association officially rejects MLB's final proposal. So no CBA deal at the deadline. So what does this mean for baseball moving forward? We'll have the answer for you. You're listening to Harry Douglas and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and E+. And, Harry, we got to cut right to it when it comes to what's going on in Major League Baseball because the Players' Union shot down the proposal from the owners uh, in the collective bargaining agreement that they were trying to work out before the 5 p.m. deadline. Now, Major League Baseball's final proposal to the players, which was delivered before 4 p.m., featured an increase from $25 million to $30 million in a pre-arbitration bonus pool each year for the length of the CBA, while the union wanted it to begin at $85 million in bonus pool money and go up by $5 million for each year of the CBA. On the competitive balance tax, also known as the luxury tax threshold, the league's last offer remained the same as in its previous one, which started at around $220 million and was flat for three years before going up to $224 million in year four and $230 in year five. The union wanted it to start at $238 million, which raises to $244 million, $250 million, $256 million, and by the end, $263 million. So year over year, you were seeing those huge increases in that threshold. Now, Harry, while that's important, or why that's important, is that we've seen the MLB owners use the competitive balance tax or the luxury tax 
as a hard cap in terms of what they were going to do with player salaries and payroll. Now you have a couple of big market teams that have gone over it, the New York Yankees, the the New York Mets, and of course the Los Angeles Dodgers. But the other 27 teams in baseball usually capitulate to that competitive balance tax and stay under it. And so players have an issue with the owners not allowing them to get their bread, especially when you know that that there really isn't a hard cap in the sport of baseball. So your thoughts on Major League Baseball potentially not starting on time because they can't work out a CBA. I think it's sad. I think it's sad for the sport, uh, a sport that I grew up playing. That was the first sport I ever played, man. So, Chris, when you look at the Major League Baseball, you look at the history of it, um, you look at the fans now, you look how uh, the attendance has gone down, the ratings have, have gone down. And we were just talking in the break. It's not like you have uh, a Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, those kind of guys to lift this sport to what it once was this time around because, right, that steroid era is gone, and I don't think it's ever coming back again because you see a guy like Barry Bonds who should be in the Hall of Fame not get in. So enough with that. But I think it's just sad for the sport that so many people do love, and especially like myself who grew up watching uh, because of greed. Right, but Chris, I'm I'm listening to you say those numbers. They're nowhere close to even being deal worth when you yeah. listen to, when you listen to the numbers. But it just shows you how far apart the two sides are in this whole ordeal. No doubt about it. I mean, Harry, when you start talking about teams and how much money they spend, last year you had three teams that spent over two hundred million dollars. This year you have three teams that are projected to spend over $200 million. And, of course, it's those big three, the two New York franchises and the L.A. Dodgers with the San Diego Padres coming in fourth at $184 million. So teams are not even spending all the way up to the competitive balance tax, and that becomes the issue. Now, players don't want to get into the business of creating a a salary cap floor because that means you have to have a salary cap season. So – Therein lies the dilemma for Tony Clark and the Players Association when trying to negotiate this CBA. They want to incentivize teams to spend more money, but baseball teams aren't doing that. Instead, they're opting to use analytics and find value, find bargains in free agency as opposed to doling out these huge contracts, you know, eight-year, ten-year deals, and being tied to players that are past their prime, playing them exorbitant amounts of money. So, it continues to be an ugly situation, but Harry, in all of it, I think the fans are the ones that lose. That's right. Because now opening day is in jeopardy, and you're talking about a game that has always had issues when it came to the union and the owners being on the same page about doing what's in the best interest of growing the game. And I can assure you that bickering about money in the middle of a pandemic like they did a couple of years ago wasn't in the best interest of the game bickering about money publicly right now when we're coming out of the pandemic is not what's in the best interest of the game. They already had a problem before all of this stuff was going down with trying to improve the entertainment value of their sport. Because of the emergence of analytics, you incentivize home runs, you incentivize strikeouts, so that's what players do. It's home runs and strikeouts and not a lot else. Gone are the days of stolen bases. Gone are the days of hit and run. You don't see that kind of stuff anymore. The action in baseball is lacking. And so it's hard to get a millennial or to get a Gen Zer to sit down for four hours and watch a baseball game that has very little to no activity. And that's the thing that baseball has to try to overcome. 
this certainly doesn't help their cause in terms of being able to turn people on to their sport and get them to engage. Now, I will say this. They have been creative in trying to think outside of the box and find ways to build up the game. What they did last summer with the Field of Dreams game with the White Sox Mm -hmm. and the Yankees, that was absolutely brilliant. And so I think they're finding ways to try to weave in pop culture as a way to create appointment television and bring entertainment value. But you can't do a Field of Dreams game every single week, Harry. It's got to be fundamentally trying to shift the sport back to having more action, and that's something that the players and the owners need to be working toward. But we can't even get to that, Harry, because they're bickering about money. They're bickering about trying to negotiate a CBA, and that's the problem that I have with Major League Baseball. And, Chris, I want to ask you something. Do you think that COVID season, right, 2020, do you think the owners are kind of using that as a template for everything, saying, okay, we had less games, we still made it work, and they're they're basically, you know what I mean, trying to use that against the players, not coming out and saying it, though, but in their minds? Well, here's what I will say. The owners are looking at the COVID season, the loss of revenue when it comes to ticket sales, fans in stands, parking, concessions, all of those things. They're looking at that and saying, we got to find a way to recruit some of those losses. And the players are looking at it and saying, well, when we negotiated the last collective bargaining agreement, we gave back some gains that we had had from the previous agreement, and we want to get those back. Mm. So those are the different forces at play when we start talking about this particular negotiation. And I'm not quite sure that we can find a path forward, at least in the short term, um, knowing that games have yet to be missed. Now, I will say this, Harry. What brings everybody back to the table is when people start missing checks. And when I say people, I'm talking about both players and owners. Because the players, we know when you start missing checks and you got those big bills to support your lifestyle, that becomes a problem. When mama comes home and she says that there's no money in the bank account or the bank account is looking a little low, that that puts pressure on the players. Also, when you're the owners and you know that those regional sports network checks are a little light, because you don't have inventory, because you don't have games, that becomes a problem. And all of a sudden, you're talking about the two sides coming back to the table to try to figure out how to work something out. But lost in all of that are the games that aren't going to be made up. And what does that do for the diehard baseball fan? That's why I keep coming back to them being the ultimate losers when it comes to this CBA negotiation. Yeah, because it makes them lose interest. And the last thing that this sport needs, Major League Baseball, uh, they, they, they don't need people to lose interest in their sport. A sport, I will say, you have basketball, you have football. Uh, I would even say soccer right now. I think more people in this country are into soccer more so than they are Major League Baseball because mm. the young kids grow up playing soccer more so yep. than they do baseball now. Yeah, and that's a real thing, and that's what you have to worry about if you're Major League Baseball. And I know you have – the RBI initiative, trying to get more inner-city kids to participate in baseball, but that becomes a problem because we know if kids aren't watching it on TV, then that's not a sport that they necessarily want to play growing up. So baseball has got to figure that out. We'll hear from Commissioner Rob Manford after the MLBPA officially rejects the MLB's final proposal. That's next. You're listening to Harry Douglas, Chris Canney, ESPN Radio.